Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing what feels like this afternoon? Pretty good? Daylight savings feels amazing, especially for this group. It's like, what, 1220? That's awesome. At least that's what our bodies tell us. Hey, welcome online. If you're watching, we're glad that you're joining. Uh, we have more and more people that are watching online uh, every single week, and so we're just glad to have you uh, and glad to have you who are here in person. I want to start off, I want to ask you this question. The question goes like this. When is the last time something turned out differently than you expected? This every day, someone says. This is patterns. That's what I'd encourage. Look for patterns. For everybody else, this is, a, this is an, an interesting and maybe uncomfortable question for many as we're two days away from uh, what is a really important and has also served to be a very divisive election. The question I want to ask is, when's the last time something turned out differently than you expected. I remember one time I was in high school and I was a part of this organization called Business Professionals of America. I was the president of our local high school chapter and uh, it was kind of fun. It wasn't a big high school. It wasn't hard to become president, but there was this role called the State Executive Council for this organization. And so they met here in Grand Rapids. It was like a state competition and you could actually run for an elected position to lead the state of Michigan BPA, right? Some of you are like, nerd alert, nerd alert. I know, I know. But I was like, hey, I could do that. I I'm president. That's what I'm shooting for. And so I get out and, and what was required, there were like 3,000 people at like Van, or it wasn't Van Andel, it was Amway. 3,000 people all gathered there. And then all of us as high schoolers have to come out and we have to give a speech. This is like the first speech I've ever given. And it's also the biggest crowd even to date I've ever spoken to. And so 3,000 people, you know, your heart skips a beat a couple times. And so I get up there and I'm sweating and I have my speech and I give my speech and I go, there's, I crushed it. Okay, I crushed it. There's no possible way. Here's how it works with the election too. The, whoever gets the most votes becomes president. And then whoever gets the second most votes becomes vice president. And then third is secretary of treasurer. And then fourth, fifth, sixth, all the kind of like boring positions like vice president of community affairs or whatever. I mean, it was like, they just try to give titles, right? And so I'm like, hey, I nailed it. I know I nailed it. Looked at my competition. I was like, president, here we come. And so you can imagine my surprise the next day when they read off the results of the election. They brought us all up on stage and they started from the top down. And so they read off and the president, not David Dorner. It's not what they said. That'd be horrible. But they, they said somebody else's name. And so I'm like, Okay, vice president, I'll settle for vice president. And then they read somebody else's name. And then they read somebody else's name for secretary of treasurer. And then they start going through position after position after position, and they don't say my name. You know the position I was elected to? It was called state parliamentarian. Is that the dumbest sounding position you've ever heard of? They like tossed me a book called Robert's Rules of Order, and they're like, here, memorize this. You get to police the meetings. I'm like, are you kidding me? I was so frustrated. I'm like, there's no possible way I could have lost that election. And it was then that I realized the election was rigged and it was hacked by the Russians. <laughs> That's what it was. There was no possible way I could have lost. I was so mad. How do you respond when things go differently than what you expect? How do you respond? I'm embarrassed to tell you my response. I quit. I say, I ain't doing that. I'm not even reading the book. Take it back. As we're looking at an election coming up here in the next two days, all of us have an outcome that we anticipate. All of us have an outcome that we think is going to happen. And maybe if you don't, you at least have an outcome that you hope will happen. And so the question I want to ask you is, how will you respond if the outcome is different than what you expect? This is a really big week for our nation. 
But this is also a really important week for the church. This isn't going to be a political sermon today, but there's a good chance you might feel uncomfortable because what we are called to do and who we are called to represent as a church is far more important than the results of this next election, which is why if you're going to write anything down, I want you to write this down. How we represent Jesus is how people see him. That's what I'm talking about today. Whether your candidate wins or your candidate loses or your candidate is a write-in, whatever it is, the results don't matter. What matters is the world is going to be watching and paying very close attention this week to how the church responds. And the church isn't big C church. It's not people on stages. What, What they're looking at is people like you, people like me, who live mostly normal, average, ordinary, everyday lives, but who people know were believers that we're a part of the church. And so they're watching us as they have been watching us to see how we will react, how we will respond, how we will interact with people around us, especially those who are different than us. So you're going to love the text that we're studying today. It's, it's going to be a fun one. Um, we're going to dive in. It's going to be in Luke chapter 19, but you have to understand kind of what's happening first. Jesus and his disciples are traveling through, and they're coming up to a town called Jericho. And it wasn't a town. It was more of a city. It was a big city. It was an important city. There was a lot of wealth in the city. And so as Jesus and his disciples enter into Jericho, uh, we often forget who Jesus' disciples were, okay, and how different they were. So one of them, his name is Simon, and he often went by Simon the Zealot, the name Simon the Zealot, and you've probably read that before. Uh, but to us, we're like, what's a zealot? I, I don't really know. Maybe you've studied, maybe not. But, but the zealots were a part of a group, or the zealots were known as a group in Jewish society. They were like revolutionaries. They hated the Roman oppression. Rome was the oppressor over Israel, and so Rome had the army, Rome had the power, Rome had the taxation, Rome had all of it. And so the zealots wanted to overthrow the Roman government because they couldn't stand them, violent if necessary necessary. So Jesus asked Simon the zealot, hey, would you come be one of my disciples? And so Simon follows. But, but here's what we often forget is one of the other disciples that Jesus called and invited had the name of Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector, and tax collectors were different. Tax collectors were oftentimes Jewish. They grew up Jewish. They had Jewish family, Jewish heritage. They didn't, but, but they were given the opportunity to bid for the ability to tax their own people. It was as if there was a line, right? Jews on this side and Romans on that side. They crossed the side. They crossed the line. They said, I'll I'll go with Rome. I'll tax my people. I'll tax them because it's a way to get rich. What they would do as they crossed the line, Rome would say, hey, you are now responsible for this territory. You are responsible for coming up with X amount of dollars. You come up with those dollars, however you tax your people, that's up to you. You figure it out. But any dollar you raise over that, that's yours to keep. So imagine having the army of the Roman Empire turning on your own people, people, having the ability to do whatever, tax whatever, charge whatever, threaten whatever, take whatever, manipulate whatever. You have the ability to wreak havoc on your own people, and you're getting rich doing it. Jesus, of his disciples, had both Matthew and Simon. How did they get along? That's what I want to know. How would you get along? So Jesus and his disciples, they're entering into Jericho. Here's what happens. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus who was a, he was a wee little man. Come on, all the church people who grew up in Sunday school, they're like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And everybody else is like, that's, what? That's like the dumbest song I've ever heard. 
His name is Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Catch that. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. What does this tell us about the person of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was so good at taxing his own people. He was so good at raising the taxes. He was so good at collecting them. He was so driven and so motivated. He was so good at his job, he got promoted. Hey, Zacchaeus, you're not just a tax collector now. Now you're, a, you're in charge of other tax collectors. You teach them how to do what you do because you're effective. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. Where did his wealth come from? From his own people. From his own people. Do you think Zacchaeus was well-liked among his people? Probably not. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So, I mean, catch this. He's powerful. He's wealthy. He's driven, motivated, successful. I mean, he, he's checked all the boxes. But he's also empty. He wanted to see who Jesus was. There was still something unresolved in his heart that he had not yet resolved. And so he heard of this person named Jesus who's coming and he's entering through the city of Jericho and he wanted to get a glimpse for himself. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. I just think this is so funny. Why does Luke tell us he's short? You know, as someone who's not short, you know, I'm 6'5". Tall people have this thing where like we can head into an environment, we can head into a crowd, we can go to an amusement park or a concert, whatever. We have this thing where we have the ability to identify other tall people around us. You know what I'm talking about? Here's what we do. We work. Thank you, Pat. We work. We walk around. We're talking. And then we go, I need to find somebody. There you are. What's up? That's what we do. That's what we do. Watch us. Any crowd, tall people find each other. I do it in this room all the time. I find my brother. He was here first service. I just scan, scan, scan. Bloop. That's interesting. There he is. That's what we do. Zacchaeus doesn't have that. He doesn't have that. He's short. Zacchaeus is trying to look and all he's seeing is backs. So what does he do? He has to take matters into his own hand, and he has to climb the tree. He was so short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Wouldn't that be embarrassing? I mean, you're this really wealthy, powerful, successful man, and there's something you just can't fix. You just can't see. So you climb up this tree. I wanted to show you what a, a sycamore fig tree looks like. This is a big tree. So imagine this, like in the city of Jericho, somebody would be walking through the street like this. Check out this next photo. It's like you get a better view of like the branches and how big they are, how expansive they are. I mean, this, if you want to see, you're going to climb a sycamore tree. And so this third one, I love this. There's a guy sitting in the tree. You can see him. Maybe his name is Zacchaeus. We don't know. But there he is. He's sitting and he's waiting because he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. He wants to get a glimpse of the person of Jesus. Is it fair to assume that he was probably excluded, made fun of, hated, ignored, or forgotten by many of his own people? Can you imagine the jokes behind his back? Seeing this little short guy who you just detest? I mean, it's like, what, what's your affection level for the IRS? Probably not high, right? Do you make accommodation for them? 
<laughs> if you don't have to, maybe. This guy's in charge. You hate him. You know what he's done to your family? You know what he's done to your house? You know what he's done to your kids' education? You, you can't stand this guy. So can you imagine the snickering and the remarks? Can you imagine the treatment that Zacchaeus would have felt by his own people because he turned on them? They don't want anything to do with him. And how do you blame him? How do you blame him? So isn't it true he was probably excluded, made fun of, hated, ignored, forgotten by many of his own people, maybe even his own family? But I want to ask this question. How many groups of people in our world today feel that way about the church? That they feel excluded. They feel forgotten. Feel mistreated. Don't feel a, a sense of trust or a sense of belonging. They just feel like this church is a group of which I don't belong. I mean, I think about communities like this, LGBT community, people of color, immigrants, refugees, opposing political party. I mean, it, is it possible that people feel this way because of something that we have done, that I have done, that I have said? Is it possible that we in this room have said things that made people who are different than us feel like they don't belong in the most diverse, beautiful family of God? Is it possible we've created that same situation that Zacchaeus encountered, but for different reasons? Let's keep reading. Verse 5, it says this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, how did he know his name? I mean, just catch that, right? Jesus, he's walking through. They never met. They never had an interaction. But Jesus looks and he calls him by name. He says, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Of course he did. Of course he did. Can you imagine your only goal is to get a glimpse and then the one that you wanted to see came up, he calls you by name and he invites himself over to your house. Hey, you want to host me? I'm here. Yes, yes I do. But like we, we often miss the significance or like the emotion of what this would feel like for everybody else around him. So I wanted to make this relevant, right? I was like, I need an example that fits today, November 1st, 2020, right before an election. Can you imagine this? Let's say you're at a rally for your candidate. The one that you just swear by, you're like, this is who it is. They're going to make a difference, blah, blah, blah. You're at a rally for your candidate, and you find out that Jesus was here. Jesus showed up, but he didn't show up to your rally with your candidate. He showed up to the opposite rally with the opposite candidate and said, hey, you want to grab lunch? What would that do to you? What, what would that make you feel like directed at the person of Jesus? You'd be like, what? Are you, are you kidding me? Don't you know what he stands for? Don't you know what she stands for? Don't you know what they said? Can you imagine the feeling, whatever candidate, whatever thing, I gave other examples. What about you're at work and Jesus visits your competitor? What about you're at school and Jesus visits your rival? What about you're at home? Oh, this one bugs me. And Jesus visits your neighbor instead of you. Can you see the emotion that you might feel? And you go, Jesus, are you, are you serious? Why wouldn't you come to my house? Why would you pick him? 
And I could imagine this question, hmm, I guess character doesn't matter in the kingdom of God then, huh? I mean, can't you see how the people would feel this targeted at the person of Jesus? But what must it have felt like for Zacchaeus? I read one commentary, which is just like a, it's like a study guide for the passage. There's a lot smarter people than me who just write notes. And they say, is this maybe the first time Zacchaeus has heard his name in a positive, warm way since his childhood? Huh. What must it feel like to have the Son of God in your midst call you by name in a way that's warm? Loving. What's so funny is, even in our text, let's read it here, verse 7. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a, say it with me, sinner. You know, everybody there would know his name. Everybody knows who he is. You fear this man. You hide from this man, you keep him at a distance, you're safer that way. Everybody knows his name and yet they call him by his sin. Do we ever reduce people's humanity down to a label? Just think about online. Think about social media. Remember when people used to talk face to face? I don't see a lot of that on social media. Not people that are, that are different. Zacchaeus is a sinner. And everybody knew it. The emotion that came with that, it's not unfamiliar to us. But here's the other truth that exists here is nobody knew what Jesus was about to do. Remember that first question I said, has there ever been an outcome that was different than what you expected? Nobody expected what was about to happen. In fact, Jesus was about to change this man's life forever. But the religious people, the church people, the people who knew Jesus the best, missed it. Are we in danger of the same thing? Especially this week breaks my heart but I think it's just true there are so many people so many Jesus followers who horribly represent who Jesus is Shannon told me the story she works with a woman uh, at the hospital uh, who has like an autoimmune disease you don't choose it. You, nobody chooses to have a disease, but she has this autoimmune disease. And I mean, can, she's also got four kids under the age of five. I've got one that's two, and that's enough for me. But she's got four under five. I mean, you imagine the chaos, imagine the stress, imagine the pressure. It, it, she's just struggling. But on top of that, she has this immune disorder that, that she's working on and, and trying to overcome and hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And so she's fighting and she's trying, but she can't wear a mask. I don't know if you know, that's a hot topic right now. And so she was at Sam's Club. This was like the last week or two. She was at Sam's Club. She wasn't wearing her mask because she can't. Nobody else knows that. Nobody. Sometimes all we can see is what we can see. 
And so she's shopping in Sam's Club, doing what she does, and a woman that is a couple aisles over sees it, sees her, and yells out at the top of her lungs, made a horrendous scene, and said, you obviously don't know who Jesus is because if you did, you'd have a mask on right now. That was in our city. What does that feel like to be her? This, this mom I told you about. Doesn't that just break your heart? This is what I want to say. Jesus isn't like that. What about the people you see online? What about the people you see on the news? What about people? It's like there's so many people that wear the label of Christian or disciple or Jesus follower and then horribly represent him to the world that just doesn't know him. This is why it's so important because of this. How we represent Jesus is how people see him. How we represent Jesus is how people see him. This mom is a believer. And as she was sharing with Shannon and a couple other people at work, she says, yeah, I've been praying for that lady. That looks like a lot clearer depiction of who Jesus is. But our world is ridden right now with people who do not represent Jesus well, and that's what the world thinks of Jesus. They're watching us as the church. So I just want to ask a personal, maybe introspective question. It's this, do we ever do that? If not out loud, do it in our hearts? If not intentionally, do we ever do that unintentionally? Has there ever been something you posted, something you said, a decision that you made, whatever it may be, something that you did that maybe cast a bad or a negative light on the person of Jesus? I'll be the first one to tell you, I have. And I feel sick about it. I, I, I try to go back, I try to do anything I can to make up for it to the person that I've hurt. I go, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't intend, I didn't mean to because of this. It's not, it's not about who they see in me. It's about who they see in Jesus. That's why I say this next week in the election, it is such an important election, but not so much for the nation as it is for the church. You guys, I think we're going to have one of the best evangelistic opportunities we have ever had in the next couple of weeks and months of our country. I just think the harvest is ripe. I think there are people everywhere that are climbing trees, looking for answers, looking for hope, looking for safety, looking for provision, because there's something we all know, okay? And just amen to this. The, the savior of the world is not the next president. He's not. It's the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. And Jesus has actually extended us an invitation as his church to represent him as an ambassador to a lost and broken world. What a gift and what an opportunity to represent him. But there's some pressure that comes with that. Because that means everything we do should point to the person of Jesus. And the reason I say we're going to have some great evangelistic opportunities is I think it's going to get ugly. And it, you don't need to be a scholar to look at our world and go, hmm, if one of them wins, it's going to get ugly. But then if the other one wins, hmm, that's going to get ugly too. 
And then what about COVID? And, and I mean, 2020 has been a box of surprises, hasn't it? Who knows what else is coming in the next couple months? Are we ready as a church to step in and say, I represent my Savior, Jesus Christ. And everything I do, I want to point to him. You ever wonder why Jesus chose Zacchaeus instead of somebody good? Somebody who had their life together, somebody who made good decisions, didn't do drugs, never got arrested, never turned on his people, wasn't accused of being a traitor. I mean, don't, don't you ever wonder, like, Jesus, why, why'd you pick him? Why? Why? Pick somebody better. Why not pick the religious scholar? Pick the, the guy who just did everything right. He's got a great family and he was an honest worker. Pick the mom who's just crushed it as a mom and she's done and given everything she had. Jesus, why not pick a good example of somebody? Why do you have to pick the worst example of the somebodies that are among us right now? And there's only one answer that could be. It's this. Jesus was on a mission to do something very specific and he wanted to pick a perfect example for the rest of us. Is it possible that Jesus' mission was out for somebody different than what we expected? That Jesus' ministry, his focus, his teaching was geared at a very specific group of people that was very far from him rather than those that were close and tight, those that had their lives together? Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. What about us? What is the purpose or intention or goal or direction of our lives, the way we carry ourselves? Who is that targeted to? Is it targeted towards people who are like us and similar to us, or is it targeted towards people who are different and dissimilar? Now, I think this is one of the reasons why the election right now is more polar and divided than it's ever been before, is because we have found the ability to surround ourselves with people just like us. And Brian talked about it last week. I thought he did a phenomenal job. He, he talked about this cancel culture, that if you say something, do something, represent, if you do anything that I don't like, that I don't agree with, that I disagree, whatever, if you do anything, you're now blocked, you're now unfriended, you're now removed. You're, I've totally isolated myself from you because you're different. And what happens is we just get surrounded by people who are the same, 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 same as us. And we wonder why we are so at odds with so many different people. Is it possible Jesus was out for a very specific purpose that the church missed? Are we in danger of the same thing today? So let's keep reading. Chapter 19, verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is so significant. Zacchaeus grew up as a young Jewish boy. Young Jewish boys would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would memorize all of it, which is embarrassing to us. Can I just add? Because some of us, we can't get three verses. It's just like, oh man, the words, they just get jumbled up, mixed up. I don't know how they go. These kids would have five books. And have you read Leviticus? I mean, it's like the fact that they had that memorized was unbelievable. But, but there's this piece where God commanded his people through Moses. He said, if someone defrauds somebody, if someone takes advantage, if someone steals, here's, here's the penalty. If they do it unintentionally, they just have to repay what they stole. If they do it intentionally, they have to repay what they stole plus about 20%. That's in the book of Leviticus. 
So Zacchaeus grew up a young Jewish boy. He would know what the book of Leviticus would require him to make right. Because remember, he probably cheated people. He stole from people. He extorted people. He manipulated. He threatened. Zacchaeus did all of this. And Jesus, one quick, short interaction with Jesus. And Zacchaeus says, hey, if I've done that to anybody, four times the amount. Four times the amount. I'm just going to give it all back. The thing he's been pursuing and accumulating his entire life lost its value like that. He goes, I'm willing to give it up and to give it away. And by the way, I'm also going to give half of my possessions away to the poor. It's like this interaction with Jesus, this encounter, so drastically changed the life of Zacchaeus. And then here's what Jesus says about it. He says, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Why did Jesus say that? You remember the, the story, the parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son? Maybe you grew up in church, maybe you didn't grow up in church. Chances are you've heard this parable or this story before. A man, a father, a wealthy father, a successful father has two sons. He's got an older son who's very obedient and stays close and does what his father asks. He's got a younger son who's just wild. And he shows up and he says, Father, would you give me my inheritance? I know you're not dead yet, but just give it to me now. So the father says, okay. And the son takes it and he squanders it and he burns it and he blows it up and he, he gets nothing. And so he crawls his way back to his father and his father accepts him and welcomes him and hugs him and throws a party and says, my son who was lost is now returned. This is a story, a parable that Jesus had told, but now Jesus is saying to everybody watching, all the church people, all the Jewish people who know that the Jewish line was a descendant of Abraham and it was leading to the person of Jesus. There he is. And they knew that the promise God gave to Abraham was also for Abraham's children. And so when Zacchaeus sold out his people, Zacchaeus sold out his lineage. Zacchaeus took his inheritance, went and squandered it. He pursued this thing that God didn't have intended for him. And what Jesus does is he reinstates him to the family. And he says, the one who turned on you, the one who extorted and manipulated and turned his back on you is back with us. He's a part of the family. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save, say it with me, the loss. Isn't it true that even a quick encounter with Jesus can change everything? You know what's so funny about this story? As far as we know, as far as Luke wrote, they didn't even talk yet. Nothing was said. I have to imagine something was said, but Zacchaeus turns on a dime. And I have to wonder how long the Holy Spirit had been working and moving and preparing his heart for the interaction that he was about to have with Jesus. Catch this. People knew his name. His name is Zacchaeus. People knew his name, but they called him by his sin. Jesus is a little bit different. Jesus knows his sin and calls him by his name. Do we ever reduce people down to a label and miss their humanity? Our world is nuts right now. But do you group people into labels or do you see them as the individual, unique, 
image of God creation that they are. That's what we're called to do. Because how we represent Jesus is how people see him. Don't you wish Zacchaeus could have seen Jesus through the people around him rather than having to climb a tree? Just one last thought. Don't you wish somebody in the crowd, somebody in the synagogue or the temple or the church or some, somebody in his family, don't, don't you wish there was somebody that would have came up and interacted with Zacchaeus and said, I know you've sold out your family. I know you're all about money. I know you're all about the bottom line. I know you've hurt people. I know, I, I know all that. Can I just talk to you as a friend, as a brother, as a sister, how you doing? Wouldn't the story have been different if, if the crowd, Brian talked about this last week again, you have Jesus and you have Bartimaeus last week, this blind man, and the crowd was in between them. Same thing this time. You have Jesus and Zacchaeus and the crowd. You know, we're the crowd. We're the crowd. It's part of the church. We're, we're the crowd. Do people have to go over us and above us to see Jesus? Or can they see him through us? Because I think this is just as much a message for the people of the time as it is for us today. Uh, when I was in college, I had a roommate, and uh, his name was Dave, which I just, my name's David. I just thought this was stupid. Whoever was involved was like, hey, let's play a stupid joke on these guys. Because for the four years I was at Grand Valley, do you know I never met anybody else with my name? So, like, I have to imagine there's only two Daves on the entire campus, and they're like, let's put them together and see maybe there was an explosion or something. So we walk in. I still remember the first day I met him. I walked in to my room, and he was already there. He was already set up. And I said, hey, what's up? What's your name? My name's David. And he goes, my name's David. I went, well, I think it's possible both of us could have that same name. It's good to meet you. Glad we're starting off on the right foot. And he was kind of distant and not, not super friendly, not super politically correct. He was also a mechanical engineering major. So, I mean, he just hated life. Um, for those of you that are in that or know people, I mean, he, there are so many times I just ask him, I'm like, Dave, you are so miserable. Why don't you choose anything else? And he, he'd just stare at me, just blank, and he'd go, what else am I going to do? I was like, why is this my problem to solve now? I, I don't know. Figure it out, man. But here's the thing. Dave and I, it was like we always had this weird relationship. It was always like, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you mad? I, I can't tell. But, but Dave was a believer. It was something we had in common. So we were roommates, and, you know, I, I was pretty different. I was pretty outgoing, and I liked to think I was fun. It, it was not, not the same. So he and I got along. It was fine. But there, there was a, a, a man that got a specific nickname over the years, and he was known as the preacher who would show up at Grand Valley. Wasn't a student, guy was middle-aged, he would show up, and there was a specific spot on Grand Valley's campus that he could show up and he could say anything he wants. Free speech, right? All the free speech. Yep, free speech. So he shows up, and what he would do, one of the biggest thoroughfares on the entire campus, there's one bridge, because there's like this valley. And so there's this bridge, they call it the Little Mac Bridge at Grand Valley. Everybody, if you're going from one side of campus to the other, usually you're crossing this bridge. And so he would park right next to it. 
And every student that's walking by, he starts barking at them and start yelling at them and saying, you're going to hell and dressed like that and Jesus, blah, blah. I mean, just barking, not, not life, not encouragement, just saying, you're condemned. You're all condemned. You're all going to hell. You need Jesus. But then, then college students, not known for making good decisions, I think we would all agree with that, they would gather around him and it was like, this was fun for them. This was like an opportunity to just say stupid stuff. And it was everywhere. And so there's, there's always this crowd that kind of gathered around. And so he He's yelling and they're yelling back and, and nobody's talking to each other. They're all talking past each other. You know what I mean? It's like social media. They're just all talking past each other. Nothing's being received. Nothing of value is really being shared. But I stuck around because I'm like, who knows what will happen? I just thought it was, it was like, man, this, but I was like ashamed because I'm like, this guy, everybody is seeing him right now and they think if you're a Jesus follower, that's what that looks like. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're kids, you're growing up, and, and your sibling was acting stupid, and you whacked him, you're like, stop acting stupid. You're making the family look bad. You know what I'm talking about? I was the oldest, okay? Knock it off. That's what I felt like with this guy. But we're, we're on the same team? I'm like, you're making us look horrible. So then I, as I'm sitting there, one day, I'm just, I'm just watching. I'm going, this is just, we're just crashing, crash and burn. Dave walks by. <laughs> I was like, Oh boy, what is going to happen here? Dave shows up. Remember, he's a believer. He, he's a Christian, but, but he's quiet. He showed up and, and he's sitting there and I'm just watching him. Like He's just getting madder and madder and, mad, and I live with him and I'm going, oh, he's going to pop. Who knows what? And so like you see his fist, you know what I'm talking about? Like he's just, uh, and I'm like, what is he going to do? And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, Dave, who never speaks in a crowd ever, goes like this. If anybody wants to know what Jesus is really like, I'll be over here. And then just huffs off and he walks away. Do you know people followed him? <laughs> this is funny. Because I'm like, where was that? Like, where did that come from? And he walked over. People followed him and it's like, it, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't well articulated. He just said, this is who Jesus is. It's not that. It's not that. Let me tell you the gospel. We are all sinners. We are all broken. What he said, yeah, that's, that's true, but that's, that's only the first part of the story. Second part is Jesus saw us in our absolute worst spot, and he said, I love you regardless. In fact, I'll pay the ultimate price. I'll send my son, Jesus. I'll, I'll sacrifice him for you so that you and I can have a relationship. And so I'm, I'm going to create you to be a new creation, and you're going to live your life now as a representation, as an ambassador of me. That's the gospel. So if you really want to know what Jesus is like, that's what he's like not what he's doing. I went, that's what I'm talking about. I'm his roommate. <laughs> Can we do that for our world? I think there are people in this room that you need to exercise your context to say, if you want to know what Jesus is really about, I'm available. Don't make people climb the tree. Don't make people go around the church. Don't. Would you be his ambassador this week? Because remember, the Son of Man came to seek and to save who? The lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. I was lost. Many of you in this room were lost. If you haven't had an encounter with Jesus, you are lost just like Zacchaeus. But what Jesus offers is a life that can be totally redeemed and transformed if 
we'll align ourselves with him. So here's what I want to close with today. I, I just want to ask you this as the band comes out. I, I just, a lot of times I come out and I say, hey, here's my challenge this week. Here's my encouragement. I'm going to beg you this week as a representation of the big C, capital C, global church, also as a representative of Jesus, I'm going to beg you, would you please utilize your context to point to the person of Jesus this week, regardless of the outcome, whether your candidate wins or loses, would you please represent him well? What does that look like? I don't know. Use your platform to point to Jesus, social media, maybe it's to your golf buddies, maybe it's to family, to coworkers, to people on the street, to neighbors, whatever it is, would you use and look at and evaluate your context totally differently than you ever have before? And you would say, okay, Jesus has given me this opportunity to represent him. Would you do that this week? Things you can do, why don't you pray for them? Why don't you pray with them? Look for people who are asking questions, who are curious, who are open, who are climbing these trees, looking for a glimpse of Jesus. Would you step in and embrace them in the same way that Jesus would? Would you be encouraging? Would you serve them, especially the vulnerable? Would you be generous in every encounter? Would you post something on social media that just extends an invitation? Hey, I know this is crazy right now, but I just want everybody to know I'm available. I'm here. I'm here only in the power of Jesus. How we represent Jesus this week is how people will see him. Let's make sure it's accurate. Father, in such a divided time in our country, we just pray that you would raise up your church. Father, we pray that you would give us opportunities right now to extend an invitation to those who are far off, to the Zacchaeuses of our world, to people who have turned on us, people who have hurt us, people who have broken things in our lives, people who have manipulated, whatever it is, Father, people who are aggressors and leading the movement against your church. Father, we just pray for them. Father, we also pray for the candidates right now that are running for elected positions. We pray that your will would be done, Father, not ours. We pray that you would move, not through elected officials, but through your church. Father, raise up, raise up your church as ambassadors, as representatives of your kingdom. Father, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear and hearts to discern the Zacchaeuses in our lives. And give us the boldness and the courage to be obedient and to move towards them just like you move towards us. We love you. And all God's people said together, amen.